I'd like you to follow along. I know that some of the readings in Job have been long um, because, you know, some speakers are just long-winded and they take a lot of time to express their thought. But uh, we enjoy, let's enjoy the reading of God's Word and uh, let's gleam what He has for us here. We'll be speaking uh, from these two chapters in our sermon this morning, getting back in our series in Job. So join with me now in the reading of Job chapter 32 and 33. If you're here with us, you're able to stand, please stand in respect to the reading of God's Word. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention. And behold, there was none among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. Beware, lest you say, we have found wisdom. God may vanquish, not a man. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. They are dismayed and answer no more. They have not a word to say. Shall I wait because they do not speak, because they stand there and answer no more? I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that is no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I might find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. But now, hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. 
He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going... Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. May God give us understanding in this reading of his word and the sermon today that follows this text. If you remain standing, let's take some time to pray this morning. I want to thank Heidi for her uh, prayer request has been shared in the email and updating us on each other and the conditions. And I want to highlight today as we pray for Sister Minnie Kathy and her condition. She has been sick for a long, long time and suffering. She's had medical attention for a long time and things seem to be just not getting any better. So we want to pray for her that God would just um, build her up and strengthen her. If you can contact her through email or text or some way, Encourage your heart and, and do that, and I'm sure that would be appreciated. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to come and pray. We do pray and thank you for your goodness, for your grace to us during this time. You've kept us, you've preserved us, you've saved us, you've delivered us from all types of ills and ailments, and we thank you and praise you for that. We stand here today to worship you because of who you are. And we're thankful to have that opportunity to worship. We pray for those among us, especially, Lord, who, who suffer. We think of Minnie Kathy. We pray, Lord, that you would just comfort her heart and her body, that you would give her 
a sense of, of, of you, that she knows that you do well in all things and that you do love her and care for her. We just pray, Lord, that you would also just to ease the suffering and the pain in her body, to give her some relief. And we just pray that you would most of all give her hope in her heart and in her soul, Lord, that uh, you'll give her the strength to endure whatever she has to go through and that you will be with her as she goes through these challenging times. We thank you for her testimony to her family. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue that testimony so that you might open their eyes and bring them to trust in you as she does. We also pray for Sister Lola Spears, who also is among those who have different ailments here. We pray that you would just watch over her and keep her. You would comfort her, that you would encourage her, that you would ease her suffering and her pain and give her the grace to go through this. We pray for my dad, Lord, that you would watch over and be with him as he uh, suffers in, in his health, that you would be with him, that you would bless him, that you would encourage his heart as well. These three, Lord, are, are among those that we know can't come and be a part of our service because of their physical condition. So we pray that you would just encourage them in other ways and help us to, to look out for ways that we can be an encouragement to them as well. We have others, Lord, who are suffering and going through ailments as well, some who can't be here, some who are here in spite of, of their condition. And we just thank you for them, asking you to continue to bless and to watch over them. Each one of them, Lord, that you would uh, just continue to sustain and bless. Allow their testimonies to be sure and true and to speak loudly to their family and to their friends that, that you are a gracious and loving God and that you are master and sovereign in their lives and they trust and love you. So we thank you for that, Lord. Bless now the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would um, open our eyes to your truth. Guide us through this truth so that we will be sure to apply truth in our lives so that we'll walk in ways that are pleasing to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The text we just read, let's take a look at that today. Last week, we took a week off from our Job series, and we looked at a special message in Mother's Day. Today, we'd like to look, take, uh, go back to our Job series. Um, I've entitled this, What is God Teaching You? Are you listening, and are you learning? What is God teaching you? Are you listening, and are you learning? I thought that if we were to ask Job that question, he might be shocked at that question, as many of us might be. It's like, well, Lord, you're teaching somebody else. I already know. Um, I know what your word says. I know your truth. Um, and perhaps there's somebody else that you're trying to get the attention of. My brother, my sister, it's my neighbor, it's a loved one. It's somebody else that maybe doesn't know your word or maybe doesn't love you as I do. Maybe it's not as faithful as I am. Maybe not even here at church today. Surely you're speaking to them. Surely you're talking to them, Lord. Surely you are 
asking them to listen and you're asking them to learn. But the question again is, what is God teaching you? And if I was to ask Job that, I wonder if he would have that similar kind of response. What do you mean, what is he teaching me? I'm the one that's going through the trouble. I'm the one that's enduring. I'm the one that I'm staying faithful to the Lord in all this. What do you mean, what is he teaching me? And I think Job might have that question. We get into a very important and uh, challenging part of the book of Job. We have seen rounds one, two, and three where Job has talked with his three friends, and now that section has ended, and it seems like Job hasn't learned anything. I mean, he's like, y'all haven't taught me anything new. I've talked to y'all all this time. We've discussed everything. The accusations you make against me are not true. They're not valid. I do not accept them. And you're wrong. That's what Job has been saying. And if that's the case, you have to ask, why is God taking Job through this? I know we can spiritualize it and say, this is for our learning for those who come after Job to understand how the righteous ought to address their suffering and their challenges. And certainly it is. But God has something else that he's teaching. He's teaching Job as well. And maybe you're in the position of Job and God is teaching you. He's teaching me something. And we need to ask that question. Am I listening? And what is God speaking to me that I need to listen to and abide. You'll notice it kind of starts with that, and especially chapter 32 ends with that. Job, are you listening to me? I want you to pay attention. So we've seen the three friends, and now this section for the next two messages, we're going to look at from chapter 32 all the way through 37. We'll see... uh, Elihu, this is a different friend, now comes on the scene. Look at what he has to say. Just want to read the first few verses of chapter 32 again. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Those were Job's three friends. And notice the assessment that Job was righteous in his own eyes. Now, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Word of God tells us that Job was a righteous man. And that's the Word of God. That's God's assessment of it. But there's a different assessment when it says he was righteous in his own eyes. And we call that self-righteous. And it's a self-righteous person that fails to recognize that God is trying to teach him or her something. If you or I think that we have learned all that God has for us, then we fail to see the purpose in anything that God is doing. That's kind of where Job is. He's saying, God, why are you doing this? I long to have a conference with you and ask you to to let you know, to, to set your mind at ease. I've done no wrong, so why am I going through this? And we, ask, we often ask that question, especially during suffering, why am I going through this? Is it because God is judging me? And in Job's case, no. 
He had done no wrong, but God has another purpose in doing this, and it's a purpose specifically for Job, and so we too can apply that as well. The beauty of these chapters is what Job's three friends have missed and not addressed with Job, this fourth one comes along and he addresses it. And it tells us that he's younger than the older friends, and they, as well as he has assumed that they will hit it, they have the wisdom, surely they will speak to Job in appropriate ways and get him to see what error he has made. But they have totally missed the mark. And in God's sovereignty, he uses a young buck. I don't know how old Elihu is, uh, but he's younger than his other friends, and he's not perceived to have the wisdom that they have. And yet God, isn't that just the way God does? He says he brings the little things, the small things, the so-called insignificant things to speak to us to get our attention to show us who he is. And that's what God is doing here in Job's life. And I want to tell you, it's not just Job. He does that in our life as well. Sometimes, because we have had a relationship with God, because we have spent time with God, it is very difficult for us to learn and to listen to God. I want to warn you, and I warn myself, because that is the case. Sometimes it's hard for us, us. See, right here, we have the faithful group here. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for us to get what God is saying to us because certainly he's speaking to somebody else, somebody who needs it more than me. But if that's the case, why is God doing what he's doing in Job's life? Is he just playing games? No. He has something to teach Job. Elihu puts his finger on it. Let's look at what Elihu has to say. The wisdom of Elihu in chapter 32. Eliphaz... Bildad and Zophar, Job's three friends, had condemned Job, but they couldn't identify his wrong, and they couldn't refute him. And so because of that, Job was, so to speak, off the hook. These guys could not pin him down as to what was going on. But Elihu wisdom, it says in verse 2, he burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. I would imagine what Job was going through, in much of his thought, he was thinking, why am I going through this? I have done no wrong. I am pure of heart. In fact, in the next chapter, you can see that Elihu has identified Job's point. Look at chapter 33, verses 9 through 11. Elihu, as a wise counselor, speaks back to Job his thoughts and his words. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. 
Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. That's Job's statement, and that's his position. That God is, in fact, punishing him. Think about it. Job might not use these exact words, but it's sort of saying it. God is punishing me unjustly. I'm suffering unjustly. I have done no wrong, therefore I don't deserve the wrong that God has allowed in my life. Wow. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Job has decided to justify himself even if God takes the blame. Isn't that amazing? That Job would say, my main goal in my argument is that I come out bright and shining and wrong, even, or right, excuse me, even if God comes out wrong. Remember the statement in, in Romans, let God be true and every man be a liar. Remember that statement? <laughs> Paul makes that statement. He says, don't justify yourself. And that's what the self-righteous nature in us does. Is I both we seek to simply justify ourselves instead of asking the question, or oh, 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 God, what are you trying to teach me? Or instead of simply crying out to God, Lord, help me. That's what Job should have been doing. So Elihu um, begins to point that out. He brings it out. He has much wisdom. He speaks out of wisdom. Verse 30, chapter 33, verse 3, my words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. He speaks out of wisdom. He speaks out of humility. Chapter 32, verse 4. Now, Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. Verse 6 and 7, Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. And so out of humility, he, he speaks. But again, he speaks also with directness. Verse 10 of chapter 32, Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. In chapters 33, verse 1 and 2, But now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue of my mouth speaks. He speaks with directness. We noticed earlier he challenged the three friends of Job, and now he begins to challenge Job as well. He doesn't make any false accusations to Job, but he does, in fact, challenge Job in his own thinking. He mentioned he identifies Job's heir in chapter 33, 9 through 12. We, wrote, we read 9 through 11. Look at verse 12. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. So he, he lets Job know that there is an heir in your thinking and, and the way you've gone about things, you are not right. 
he challenges him. The beauty that I'd like to spend the rest of the time is Job identifies God's work and motivation. Job identifies God's work and motivation. Excuse me, um, Elihu identifies God's work and his motivation in dealing with Job in this way. Forgive me if I pronounce this man's name differently. Sometimes Elihu and Elihu, so I just go back and forth. But you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Reminds me of my mom when she used to call us by name, her children. Sometimes she called me a, uh, my other brother's name. She says, boy, you know who I'm talking to. Come here. <laughs> All right, look at how um, Elihu identifies how God is working in, in, in Job's life and in our lives in general as well. We'll look at chapter 33, um, starting at, at verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. In verse 12, he identifies Job's error. Then he begins to identify how God works and what God's motivation is. So let's just read a couple verses from chapter 33, verse 14. Are you with me there? Let me just read, and you can just follow. For God speaks, let's start with verse 13. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? That's what Job's contention. He says, oh, if I could just have a time set up to meet with God and tell him all that I have done or I haven't done, I will come out clear in this matter. And so Elihu says, why do you contend against him? Then he begins to say how God works. Look how God works. But God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. How is God working? God works sovereignly through life experiences, and he does so. That's what he does, and this is motivation, to warn us. It says he terrifies us with warning. So he's not just speaking to make us afraid, but to get our attention to warn us. So God has a good and glorious and gracious cause in what he's doing, and he has that cause in Job's life as well as in our lives as well, to warn us. He wants to, he works to warn and to reveal to us our sin. Verse 16, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warning, verse 17, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. His purpose is to turn us away from sinful ways and from our own pride. God is doing things in our life. I say he's working sovereignly through our life experiences. Well, you know what Job's life experience, everything was going well. He was tremendously blessed by God. He was respected by everybody, even God himself goes to a meeting with Satan and say, have you considered my servant Job? He's an excellent, righteous man. God knew what Satan would do. God knew what would happen. 
God has a purpose through all of this, something even to refine Job himself. And he says, I'm going to reveal Job to himself, and I'm going to show Job his own pride so that I might purify him. So this is what God is doing. Verse 17 and 18 that he might turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. God has a gracious purpose in our lives to deliver us from the, from the effects of sin, the harms of sin in our lives. He has that purpose for Job as well. Job doesn't see all that. He just sees his suffering that he thinks is unwarranted, that he doesn't deserve. Doesn't know why God's doing it. This suffering acts as if he's been a wicked sinner, and he hasn't. Not in that way, but he's also been self-righteous, and he doesn't see that part of him. And God is going to put his finger on that. God works to bring us, we use the word, and we'll see it played out in, in this text. God works to bring us to repentance. He works to bring us to repentance. And I've written down six steps of repentance or six, six stages of repentance. And I'm going to go through all six, and I'm going to ask you to think through in the life of Job how God is bringing this to Job. You might ask, what does Job have to repent of? We've identified just a thread of it, haven't we? His self-righteousness. Six stages I call of repentance. One is a stage of apathy and indifference. And in this stage, there also can be periods of outright aggression. <laughs> Apathy and indifference is when we are apathetic and indifferent both to God and to our own sin towards God. What does apathy and indifference mean? It's like you're not aware and you don't even care, right? So before you and I met God, we were living our own ways and we didn't call it sin because we were indifferent to that. We did our own thing. It was just us doing our thing. I ain't hurt nobody. I'm just doing my thing. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. So we're apathetic, uh, not sensitive, and not really caring about God, who he is. You know, people in the world today say they don't hate God. And in, in their way of thinking, they don't. But they're apathetic and insensitive to God. They're indifferent to him. And that's that first stage that we find ourselves in. Job, by the way, is in this stage right now. You would think, well, no, no, no. He's, he, he believes in God. He trusts in God. He is apathetic and indifferent to his own sin. He doesn't even see it. His three friends have not helped in that matter of all, at all because they've addressed issues that don't really point, put a finger on Job's situation. And so he's like, I'm not paying attention to y'all. And he, he kind of goes even stronger in that he's in the right. He's in the right. He's in the right. He's willing to meet with God. 
He's in that stage right now of being apathetic and indifferent to his own sin. You know what? You and I could be in that stage right now as well, even though we trust God. There's certain things in our life that someone has told us over and over and over again and we're still not listening to. <laughs> in that case, we are apathetic and indifferent. We may not be apathetic to all things. In fact, that's what we do to justify ourselves. Remember the great chapter we read when Job was saying how he helped to help the helpless and those who were in need, those who worked for him, he'd be sure to give them their wages. He just went all the way through saying, hey, I've done so much good. And we can do that same thing. Thinking that because we so-called passed our own tests, that we pass God's test, or because we are okay in one area or two or many areas, that there's no other areas that God wants to work on us. And so we are, we can be apathetic and indifferent, and I think that's what Job was, and his friends did not help him see that, but oh, in God's sovereign way, he brings around the fourth friend, and he speaks right to Job's issue. So that's the first stage. The second stage that I speak of is one of conviction. It's when we begin to listen now. God has, in essence, our attention. He is, he is convicting us. And, and I think until you get to chapter 32 and chapter 33, I really don't see that conviction in Job. Now, Job admits some things on his own, but there's still this area where he has been apathetic, uh, indifferent, and now, only because of Elihu and, and the wisdom that God gives him, he begins to, to hammer on, in a very gentle way, to hammer on the issue that God is dealing with Job. And there becomes conviction. Now, you can skip ahead and you can read. You wonder, why does Job repent to God. In the whole next section, you will see Job answer hardly anything to Elihu or anything to what God says except, I'm a sinful man. <laughs> he is now going through that phase of conviction. Conviction is an important stage. Some people would think, no, I don't want people to, to feel bad about themselves, so I don't want them to go through Conviction. They, they, sometimes in conviction, we can react wrongly and we get down on ourselves and we begin to belittle ourselves. And I can never do anything right. See, even the pastor says I'm wrong. You know, if we, we get that attitude, woe is me. Instead of recognizing God is bringing us to a stage of conviction to get our attention, that we may begin to notice the things that we before were apathetic and indifferent to. So I call this stage conviction, he's beginning to listen. You notice how many times Elihu says, listen to me, Job. Listen. Listen. Proverbs, a wisdom book, begins with, with many words. Listen to what God is speaking to you. He speaks to the young man. He says, I want you to listen to me, man. I've been on that path that you've been on before. Listen to what I'm saying. Wisdom is crying out for us to listen. Job is beginning now to listen, to listen. Conviction means being troubled by personal sin and no longer apathetic or indifferent. There's a third stage to repentance, and I call it confession or acknowledgement and confession. Acknowledgement is now we've been, we become aware 
and we admit our personal sin. We said before, you, you can't, repentance isn't you confessing somebody else's sin, you know. Yeah, so-and-so is doing that. No, it's confessing, acknowledging your own sin. And that's extremely hard to do. It's so hard, it's not a human work. It is the work of God to turn a heart to, re to see him or herself. So acknowledge and confession, aware of and admits personal sin against God and admitting God's judgment against that sin. So we no longer take it lightly. We admit it and we recognize it. You know, we can admit sin and say, yeah, I know, everybody does that. That's not confession. Admitting it, at looking and being aware of it, and looking and seeing God's judgment against it. No, it's not okay. And God wants me to pay attention to this. So those are the first three stages, apathy, indifference, conviction, and then confession or acknowledgement. The fourth one I simply call repentance. It's crying out to God for forgiveness in remorse for our sin. We feel deeply sorrowful for our personal sin towards God. Have you ever felt that way? Or have you thought, eh, okay, yeah, I sinned a little bit, but that's no big deal then that's not repentance. Repentance is crying out to God for forgiveness. And it also includes this turning away from sin. The fifth stage, let me ask you on, on this stage, on this repentance, when do we see that in the book of Job? A crying out to God for forgiveness and remorse for sin and a turning away from sin. I think we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna get to that in the later chapters of Job. Now, to me, it's so revealing that this is happening in the life of Job. You might think that, hey, Pastor, how righteous are you that you're condemning Job? Whoa, I'm not condemning, condemning him. <laughs> God is. God is showing him for who he is so that he might put even Job in his place. That's an awesome thought to me. God is putting Job in his place. Remember we looked at Ezekiel with the chapter 14 where it said, hey, even if these three men, Daniel, Noah, and Job, were to stand up for others and, and try to uh, have God, you know, cancel his judgment, they would not save a nation. They would only save themselves. The, the, the Old Testament put these three men kind of like on a Mount Rushmore uh, 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 pillar to say these are some special men. So if these men, and here we talk about Job, if Job is condemned by God as self-righteous, who am I to think that I have no, nothing uh, no growth to do. I don't need to listen. I don't need to follow. I don't need to obey God. He's not talking to me. He's talking to somebody else. If God can speak to Job, certainly he's speaking to us, right? He has something for us to hear and something for us to, to listen to. And it's only our pride that will keep us from hearing that, our arrogant spirit that will keep us from receiving what God would have to say. So God is so sovereign in doing this with Job. 
Because most of us will look like, man, if there's anybody good and right and in the right place, it's got to be Job, right? By the way, he's the one suffering, right? So God says, if I'm going to pay attention to Job, I want to pay attention to you too. I got some things I want you to listen to. So repentance. The fifth stage I call cleansing and restoration. Cleansing and restoration. You know, sometimes I think I just want to jump to that part. God, I sin, cleanse me. <laughs> Real quick, right? But there are some steps that need to go so that we don't minimize sin. But it is true that God cleanses and he restores us. Let's go back to our text and see this. <clears throat> Verse 19 of chapter 33. I mentioned that God uses, he sovereignly uses the experiences of our life. And he uses both blessings and sufferings in our lives to bring out in us this repentance towards him, all right? We can real easily see the time of Job's blessing, right? God had blessed him. He, he was righteous man. He was counted as one of the richest men in his time. God had blessed him. And to Job's credit, he had honored God with his blessing. But God also uses suffering and God has the right to do that. He's God. So look at verse 30, excuse me, verse 19 of chapter 33. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed. Remember verse 14, he says, Elihu is saying, this is how God works. Verse 14, God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. He says he speaks in this way, but in verse 19 he says, man is also rebuked. Well, God's also speaking this way. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed. And with continual strife in his bones, so that, he so that his life loathes bread and his appetite to choice is food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen. His bones that were not seen stick out. His soul's drawn near the pit and his life to those who bring death. For God uses suffering in his life experiences to bring this too, but he also uses blessing. I think the next couple of verses talk about some of that blessing. This is God's work. Verse 23, if there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him. In other words, God in his grace brings us a point he brings us through these stages of repentance so we will acknowledge our wrong and we will point us to God. But that's God's work. That's why he says, if there be for him an angel, God is doing this in our lives. It's a blessing in our life for God to help us to see and acknowledge what he's doing and how we fall short. Verse 24, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. God steps in our lives and says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. Verse 25, let his flesh become fresh with youth. Here is what I see stage five in this repentance, a cleansing and a restoration. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him 
and he sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. So this is God's cleansing and his restoration. He's bringing him through this process of, of revealing to him who he is. He's revealing to that man who that man is. He's revealing to that woman who that woman is. And at the same time, he's revealing to that man or woman who God is. And he's brought him through this process. And now he's beginning to restore him, to cleanse him, and to refresh him. And so he says, then, verse 26, then men praise to God, he accepts him, he sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He's speaking of that human being, verse 27, he sings before men and says, and I think this is stage number five, or excuse, stage number six, what I call testimonial. It's sharing with others of God's virtues and our changed spirit. It's giving a testimony. It's going out and speaking and saying what God has done in my life. How I was a sinner and God had brought me to acknowledge that. He's brought me through the stages. I was apathetic. I was under conviction. And then I confessed and I repented. I turned away. God re restored me. And now I simply want to share that with others. He sings, verse 27, he sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. Notice what he's saying. He's recognizing God's grace even in his sin. It was not repaid to me. He said, God didn't treat me like I deserved, but he was gracious to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Verse 29 and verse 30 are very key to me. And they really show what God's purpose is in our life's experience. His sovereign work through our life experiences. This is what God is, 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 is doing. This is what motivates him. Verse 29 and verse 30. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man. In other words, God is, he is persistent at coming after us and bringing us through repentance. Isn't God good? God is gracious. He says, I won't let you stay in that sin. I'm coming after you. And even Job, who's more righteous than I am. He's saying, I'm going to take you, Joe. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to work in you. Look, as long as you and I have life, there is something that God is working in us to bring us closer to him. We are never, ever at a point where we can say, hey, I've arrived. I'm there. I ain't got to listen to nobody. I know everything. But God never stops working on us. And that's the beauty of it. Look at it again. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times. It's not like God just does it and gives up on us. Well, you know, if that don't work, I ain't got no hope for you. <laughs> I, I live my life with a baseball philosophy. Three, three and you out. You know, you can come at me once and, okay, I'm gracious the second time. Okay, I don't warn you. Third time, that's it. 
God doesn't have that three and out philosophy. He pursues us for the sake of repentance. Look what it says. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man. Why? To bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. Circle those verses, underline them, put highlighter there. That's what God is doing in our lives. That's what God is doing even in Job's life that Job didn't realize because Job didn't think he sinned. He thought he had no sin. I mean, sure, he thought he had a little sin, but it wasn't nothing big. Nothing for God to be worried about. God is working in his life, and he's working for this purpose, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. So this view that God is looking down from heaven and just picking on poor Job for no good reason at all, just to prove a point with Satan, is ridiculous. God, in his grace and his mercy is sovereignly accomplishing all of these things. Yes, he's making a point with Satan. Yes, he's putting Job up as a model. But yes, he's also working on Job. God could be doing that in your life. Just because he's using you as an example and a model and a testimony doesn't mean he's also not purifying you in your thinking and in your walk with him. I think about that often. We've gone through the challenges of this COVID-19 experience. And, you know, even believers have challenged. Uh, I know they've challenged me on different ideas and different thoughts. And, and I, I think that, that I've answered some of those challenges. I think I've been writing some of my arguments. But still, God, I, I can't be ignorant to the fact that God is working on me. Yes, through this. And he, in his sovereign way, is using this life experience to draw me closer to himself in many different ways. It's not just he's giving me a sermon to preach to you or somebody else. He's working on me. Do you see it? Do you see him working on you? Do you see him in his purposes, in his sovereign purpose, using your life experiences to draw you closer to him? Not just so you can speak to somebody else, but he's working on you. Praise God. Let's close this chapter. Verse 31. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. That had to be, that had to hit Job's pride a little bit. This youngster telling him, you know, he's had three friends that were greater than him. Job has. And Job didn't listen to any of those. Rightfully so, because they had little to say. God didn't choose to bring the wisdom through them. But this youngster has the audacity to say to Job, listen to me. On that same audacity, I say to you, listen to me. Listen to God. He is speaking to you. Listen. Remember the title. What is God teaching you? What are you learning? 
Are you listening? Listen. He says, pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. It's hard for us to listen when we're so busy talking, justifying ourselves. That's what Job was doing. He was gearing up for the next argument, the next round with his friends. It was really hard for him to listen. It's also hard for us to listen when we're in self-pity over the suffering that we're enduring. That's where Job was. Remember what condition he was? He had lost, you know, all of his possessions. He had lost nearly all of his family except for his wife. And his skin was covered with sores. He was in pain and he was suffering. It's hard to listen then. But God was speaking. And God was speaking to Job. It's interesting. God, in his, in his power and his wisdom, is able to speak to Job. He's able to speak to Job's friends. He's able to speak to Satan. <laughs> he's able to speak through Elihu. And he's able to speak to you and me all at the same time. And all accomplishing his sovereign purpose. Listen to me. Then he comes back, if you have any words, answer me. Speak for I desire to justify you. That's kind of like sandwiched in, but listen. <laughs> if not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. So let me just wrap up in a minute. God uses a couple of things. His sovereign work in our life experiences. You can see that in Job. Job was blessed tremendously by God. He had wisdom, he had riches, he had health, he had relationship, respect from every phase in his life. And God stripped all of that away. But not to be mean or evil or spirited, God was doing a work in so many different ways. But God is working sovereignly in our life experiences. He uses his word. He uses his spirit, and he uses his people. You would think that Job's three friends were very aware of God's word, yes, yet they did not use it skillfully, and it had no effect on Job's thinking. Job was not challenged by it. The Holy Spirit is at work, but didn't seem to sway Job until God uses this one person who begins to unravel Job's pride and his arrogance and get Job's attention. God uses all these things. My point in saying this is we can look at God's word and think that God is not speaking because we haven't seen anything directed towards us. But we often miss the point. Remember how Elihu said God speaks sometimes in the dream, in the vision, in the night? We have to be silent, quiet to hear what God is saying. And God is using, yes, his word. He's using his spirit. He's using our life experiences. And he's using his people. Some that we may not think that God would use. God in his sovereignty is using. And he's doing that to teach us to get us to listen, and he's graciously moving us towards him through these steps of repentance. Are you listening? Is God teaching you something? Oh, I pray that he is. 
We're going to bow in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the choir if they will come and prepare for their song, their last song. And I trust that God is working in hearts today. He doesn't require me to be a great man. He requires me to just speak his truth. And he works. And it's his power that goes out. If God is working in your heart and you're in one of these steps of repentance. By the way, you ought to be somewhere. You are somewhere in those steps of repentance in some area of your life. Maybe you're indifferent. I pray that God will help you see and use the different, his means in your life to bring you where he wants you to be. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been indifferent to that for a long time, and God is calling you out of that indifference and calling you to trust in him. Would you trust in him? If you know Christ as Savior, God is calling you to be on caution, to be on alert, that there's no time in your life when you are to be indifferent to what God is saying and thinking that you've arrived and don't have anything for God to work on. You let God speak to your heart. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for your patience with us and your grace towards us. We thank you for that sovereign purpose that you have is to bring us close to you. We pray that you would just continue that work in us and that you would do that work in each who hear your word today. That Christ might be trusted on, believed on in our hearts and in our lives and lived for his glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.